Show number 14 of I Read Comics, special YaoiCon edition. Yes, it's another comics podcast, and the big difference is, I'm doing it, and I'm a girl. That's right, a girl that reads comics. My name is Lena Taylor, and I read comics. Yaoi Khan, it's pretty damn funny, don't you think? (laughs) Konnichiwa. (laughs) Shut up. Oh, show off. <laughs> so here we are at YaoiCon. I'm here with the fabulous composing diva, Ginger Mayerson. Um, because this is one of the fun things that we do besides Comic-Con is we go to interesting smaller cons like YaoiCon. And this is a small con, comparatively really speaking. Small. How many people do you think are here? I have no idea. The dealer room is really small. That's really disappointing. Yeah, so I, I would yeah. say maybe a thousand people. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I would say that's pushing it. Yeah, okay. So it's a small con. Um, we're here in San Francisco. It's a three-day con. Today's Saturday, and we've been here all day pretty much. And uh, one of the things that I have, um, which will come later, is an interview with Isaac Liu, who works for mm. Digital Manga. And it's a wonderful interview in which we I talk about... I love Isaac. Isaac is wonderful. He's so cute. Go to the blog. Look at the picture. <laughs> He's, he's a sweetheart. Um, but we talked about all sorts of things, not just manga, but we talked about comics and comic book stores and um, why women read manga and all kinds of stuff. So stick around for that. You won't regret it. So um, since I got here a little earlier than Ginger did, I wanted to tell her about the things that I saw that she didn't get to see. Well, one of the reasons that I didn't get here <laughs> until, um, when did I get here? Like 1230 or yeah, something? Yeah, it was like? pretty late. Was my... 9.45 plane out of Los Angeles. Actually, we boarded about 10.20, <laughs> and then we were, like, trapped on the runway until quarter to 11. Yeah. Thank you, we Southwest. Were supposed to, yeah. Well, no, it was United. Oh, it was United. Oh, thank oh, you, United. Thank you, Bay Area weather. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was, a, it was a typical Bay Area day today. It was raining and cloudy, and then the sun and, came out in the afternoon. And, you know, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a connection to make, thank you, God. But the people <laughs> and the stewardesses were very clear. They were like, okay, everybody who isn't running for a connection, an international connection at that, too. Although why you would do that instead of flying out of LAX, I really don't know. Um, everybody stay in your seat. If you don't have to make a connection, just stay in your seat. Did they actually say, sit the fuck down? Not quite, <laughs> but that was the um, the main <laughs> message. Okay. And that people did. We sat there, you know, I was sitting next to a woman with bird flu, and <laughs> we just sat there, you know, and waited until people left. And then you came to the wonder that is Yaoi Khan. Well, yeah. Yaoi Khan number five. I have to say, um, they it's ga- nice here. It's very nice. It's at a plush hotel. I'm looking at the bags that they gave us, which were filled with treats, and they have, it says yeah. number five at the top, like it's Chanel number five. It made me, <laughs> made me laugh. Um, so here's and this a press badge. Oh, the press so passes! I'm telling you, they're the oh magic ticket here. This was the best thing in the world. So <laughs> we got we got press passes because of the Lincoln Heights Literary Society Journal that that Ginger edits and I write for, and um, they had this very complicated system of where you could go and where you couldn't go. I guess based on your age or maybe also how much you paid for some of these things. Well, it's 18 and up. Period. Yeah. So, I don't know, but well, the um, wristbands. they had wristbands that they gave. Yeah, color-coded wristbands. and They don't have one because we're press. You could go into some areas with them, but you, if you didn't have the proper color, you couldn't go. And um, what I found out as I was nosing around and looking at things was a press badge gets you in anywhere. Right. So, like ten separate times as I was about to throw myself into a room or, or through something, a person would try to stop me and say, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're press. Go right ahead. <laughs> It was great. It just got us in every place that we so ever could have wanted to go. We great. right now would like to thank the um, organizers of YaoiCon for being so yes. easy to deal with about getting a press pass. It and was send your stuff in, and they did it. And like other cons where, well, let's not even go into that. Yeah, so thank but you, anyway. April Gutierrez, yeah, for, thank making you, April. It, for making it easy. It was great. This is a very well-organized con. It was. I'm pleased. Yeah. With it. it was very, it's very low-key, very unstressful. Um I only went to one panel. 
So we're going to talk about that, right? We'll do them in chronological order. Okay. So um, the first thing that happened was that um, when I got to the hotel, I was looking around, and there were many colorfully dressed people. And the one thing that, that I really noticed about this con was that um, there was a lot of really positive excitement about it, which is something I haven't really seen at a con for a while. Um, it kind of used to feel that way at the Trek cons that we used to go to, like... Oh my God! Almost ten years ago, when we first started going to like Friscon and Bascon, it was a long time ago. I think the first time I went to Friscon was ninety nine, yeah. and then I went again in two thousand. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And so, then they stopped doing yeah, it. Yeah, so, so I went. I was going. I went the year before because yeah, I, yeah. So it was a long time ago. Well, okay, it was all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems um, like yesterday to me. <laughs> we both we both went to Ape earlier in the year, mm. and this year's Ape was you know it's very low key. You know, it was nice. But it was really low-key. Um, it's not the kind of thing where people dress up, but it, it just seemed a lot more kind of, you know, muted. Cold. A little and colder. Sort of cold. And even some of the, the recent Bascons and Friscons have just not felt like this. But people were having a great time. They were laughing and joking. Everybody was meeting up with folks that they maybe hadn't seen before. And it just felt really comfortable mm-hmm. and good. And people weren't giving you, you know, the evil eye just because... Did, maybe didn't recognize you or something. It's a young crowd. It was a younger crowd, definitely. Yeah. And that was cool. Um, and so I got up to the conference rooms and um, the quietest... I wanted to go sit in the quietest room because it was getting a little noisy. But um, an artist was... An, I don't know who this was, but someone was actually drawing right then and there and kind of showing technique. And they were videotaping it and projecting it up on a screen, which was really cool. So they showed um, the penciling and then the inking over the top of it and erasing the pencils and huh. doing some corrections with the, the little white fluid and all that. And it was it was neat just to see that. Was it a woman? Yeah. And she was Japanese. and That might have been, I, I'm going to massacre her name, Kasiko Doma. Yeah. The woman who draws Kinzuna. I don't know. She's huge. Oh. She's like well, it was, the Yahweh goddess. It was cool. Um, I was really, I'm looking at it and I don't know who it was. But um, it was really cool. So I was very happy to see that. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the first panel. So I'm looking at the list of panels and... Um, the very first one that they had that I thought would be interesting was called Anatomy for Yaoi Artists. And I thought, oh, my God, this sounds so good. And it was done by a woman whose name was Puppy, who I was kind of hoping to interview, but I can't seem to find her. Um, well, I have to interject here that the reason that this is probably a very necessary um, lecture on anatomy is that there are censorship laws in Japan. I thought it was just made modesty or something, but there are censorship laws in Japan where you can't show pubic hair and you can't show actual genitalia. So in Yahweh, when there is a graphic sex scene, there's nothing there. (laughs) There's just this white area. Mm -hmm. So maybe one of the guys will be have his hand gripped manfully and passionately around (laughs) nothing. Nothing. (laughs) And it goes on from there. So it, you know, this is a big concern for me because I, you know, I worry about the species continuing. <laughs> always. Um, it's always, the species imperative is like way up on my list. And, you know, I, I worry that there's a whole generation of young women out there that don't know. <laughs> well, you know, but obviously, you know, Yahweh Khan is going to fill the gap, well, so to speak. This talk was not about genitalia. Oh. So all you guys who are listening out there who were like ready to switch this off, it wasn't about <laughs> genitalia at all. It was actually really interesting, and, and I got oh. the impression I wanted Shoot. to ask her about this, I, but this was interesting, um, was really to give um, an anatomy lesson to people who want to draw manga. Mm-hmm. who don't have any clue as to actually how to draw a human body because they've never taken drawing classes. So this kind of made me realize that there's a lot of aspiring manga um, artists out there, and, and Yaoi as well, who don't know how the fuck to draw somebody, <laughs> basically. They're just copying what they've seen yeah. in other books. Isaac mentioned this as well. Yeah. So she was just kind of going through basic things that you need to know about human bodies, mm-hmm. which to me seem obvious, even though maybe I'd never thought about them in those terms. But it was it was just really fascinating. She had two male models to demonstrate some of this. One of them was um, a very slight Japanese guy who looked like 
what the kind of male figures you might actually see in, in yeah. manga. He was very thin and um, willowy, willowy and, and even had that kind of a curvy posture, like a slouchy <laughs> posture. And then, by contrast, she had one of the security guards who was this huge buff guy, and they both, and, and he took off his shirt, and everybody went, ooh, it was great. Uh. But she had them kind of do a little pose and, and talked around them and huh. just um, talked about things like, here's where the muscles are in the body, mm-hmm. and you have to remember to draw them with spines. She kept saying that. It's a big deal. You know, your body can't bend in this direction, and people can't do this with their right. arms. And you have to remember that there are proportions, and people cannot put their their chin in their hands and have their fingers wrap around the top of their heads. And yeah. it's like, wow, you know, I never really no, thought about that. Yeah. But, but this is the kind of thing that needs to be conveyed really explicitly to people because they've gotten used to a very stylized type of art where those things are not only possible but preferable mm-hmm. because it's such a, a, a fantasized and, and stylized area of art. And this is her way of saying, look, just bring it back down to earth yeah, a little bit. It's like Arete gone mad, you know, <laughs> in art. There's two, um, I've modeled for hundreds of um, art classes. And, you know, when you're modeling, if you're, you know, a little more cognizant than a potato, you actually are listening to what the instructor is saying. So a lot of, of theory, drawing theory, has just sort of become ingrained. There's two books. One is by Brune Hogarth. He actually produced a, a drawing book that's well thought of. And the other is by um, Joe Mugnani. Um, and I don't know what they're called, but those are the names, Hogarth and Mugnani. And they're wonderful books. And they really do tell you a lot about anatomy. So if you want to be an artist, you should like you should do some a, research, take a well, class. You should take a class. I yeah. mean, there's drawing classes out there for, there's free, um, I think you just maybe chip in 20 bucks to be able to sit and draw from a model. Yeah. And they're run by, in L.A., they're run by guys who just can't stay away from you. You know, they will come and they'll help mm-hmm. you whether you want them to or not. So I just found this really fascinating and it, it one of the other things she kept saying, which to me almost seemed so obvious, but when she said it, the the people, and they were mostly women who were sitting there, kind of went, oh, she said, if you're going to try to draw, say, someone's hand, take your own hand and try to do it with your hand and yeah. then try to draw your hand. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Could you do this action yourself? And if you could, and saying things like, you know, your hands, look at your hands. Each finger has three knuckles, mm-hmm. no more than three. Hands and feet. Hands, feet, and draperies are the hardest thing, evidently, in the world to draw. There's whole classes on hands, feet, and then draperies. Um, You know, I've become a a Captain uh, Harlock freak in a big way. He never takes his gloves off. Oh, well, because they're easier to draw. Yeah, I know. In the the Arcadia of my youth, yeah, he takes his gloves off to eat dinner, but that's it. So I just, just it was completely fascinating, and it was really good, and, and the woman who presented it was very knowledgeable and, and clearly knew more about anatomy than your average person, and I'm not sure why that was, because maybe her day job is like teaching anatomy or something. It or she's be, a drawing teacher. Or something, but yeah. it was it was fascinating, and I, I got to thinking, you know, all people who want to draw for comics, not just manga, like should be forced at gunpoint to take a class like that, because... You don't learn to draw the human figure from reading other comics. You learn to draw it... Or from copying Or from copying other people's work. I mean, you have to see what real bodies actually do. And one other thing she kept pointing out over and over was that between the two models, between Sam, the really buff guy, and Shiki, who is the Mm -hmm. the very slight guy, they have the same muscles. It's not that because you're big and buff you have extra muscles. It's the same number of muscles. They're just developed They're just differently, bigger. which I think is another mistake you often see in comic books is that people who are really buff look like they have extra muscles. But no, they're not. It's just the same ones. They're just developed differently. They don't have extra ones. You don't get extra ones by lifting weights. <laughs> and then it turned into a whole discussion about things that are possible and things that are not possible when it comes to sex. And I'm going to spare you some of that right now. Because it was fairly graphic. And but you'll tell uh, me later, I'll right? tell you later, yeah. Well, so there was no, like, dick drawing? or There was um, no dick drawing. There was no dick diagramming? No, no. It was all about oh. actual just body anatomy. I, I don't see how that's of any benefit to society. <laughs> Well, then let me tell you about the next one. Mm. The next panel that I went to was about incest. And all the boys are freaking out right now. Um, We're doomed. 
doomed. So the species is going to come to a screaming halt. I just know it. These two panels were in adjacent rooms, and um, whereas in the anatomy drawing one, the room was pretty well filled. There was probably about 40 people. In the incest one, there were like 100 people spilling out into the corridor, including me, <laughs> because I couldn't quite fit in there, and it was getting really hot. It was the most attended oh. thing, which says something. And it was all women. I don't think there were any men in there. So it was a much more freeform discussion. Hmm. But the questions were really interesting. Um, people, there were some general questions at first about, um, you know, what kind of incest do you like to read about or write? And then Ew. somebody Ew. said, so, Ew. okay, this gets into a whole area of manga and yaoi that I know nothing about, like kind of science fictiony. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> science fictiony stuff. And the big question was, um, if you have sex with your clone, mm. is that incest? And it was a very spirited discussion about that no, fact. No, I think that's onanism. So um, then it got into a further discussion about, does it make a difference if you make the clone yourself or somebody else makes it? Like, does that change the, the sexual thing? So like God, my plane was late. <laughs> so, you know, if you're a person and somehow you split into two beings and you have sex with yourself, is that incest or, you know, what if somebody else takes your DNA? You know, anyway, it was really interesting. I've never been to a panel where that was the topic of discussion, I and I really enjoyed that. I vote against that being incest. Um, and then, you know, what if you only share the, what if you only share blood or what if it's just DNA? But anyway, um, did they get into like, you know, Brother and sister? Well, so that was the next part of the discussion, and it was very, again, very spirited, and it was about... Spirited. um, (laughs) If if gay incest is okay, how do you feel about het incest, and why is it different? And um, there was some discussion about the power differential, also the age differential, Mm -hmm. and somebody pointed out, which I thought was really good, that mostly when you read about incest in a very negative way, which it is mostly portrayed in mainstream society, like it's always bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not expressing any opinions. I'm just stating what was discussed at this. So mm-hmm. this is not me talking. This is the reporter. Um, when you read about it, it's always bad, and it's almost always like an older male involved with a younger female, where there is clearly like a power difference. Like niece difference. and uncle. Like, yeah, or father bad. and daughter stuff, which is really that's bad. That's really bad. So, so there is never any room in that, right? It's black and white. Mm-hmm. Like, that's bad, because there's a power differential. One party's being usually forced into it for some reason. Well, you saw Chinatown. It tore, the, tore Los Angeles well, apart. I, okay, so, so then the discussion then got to, well... One of the most favorite forms of this is twins, mm. male twins, because then the power differential isn't there. Right. So that was kind of interesting. Well, I don't know if you read the Nifty Archives, but they have a whole section on incest, and it's huge. It's like thousands yeah. and thousands of stories, and they're all pretty icky. <laughs> but they're us- they're often um, older brothers sort of being bored and seducing their younger siblings. Their younger brothers. It's, it's like, it's. I mean, it's clearly something that fascinates people because it's a taboo subject, and mm-hmm. I don't think it gets dealt with much in comics that I know of, aside from Yowie, where I guess it's big, or some people are into it, or whatever. I just don't know. You know, I can't. You know, I'm not by no means an expert here, but I can't think of any uh, incest Yowie. I don't know. I don't know either. So I wasn't going to ask. No. <laughs> Well, I'm sure somebody will let us know. Yeah, so that was just a very interesting discussion, and uh, clearly there were a lot of people who were interested in it, and uh, it didn't really make me want to run out and read any incest porn, but the fact that they had a whole panel devoted to it was pretty fascinating. Well, have you read Hakeem Bey and the Temporary Autonomous Zone stuff? Uh It really is, this kind of a con really is a completely autonomous zone. Well, it's a temporary autonomous zone where you can ask any question that's on your mind that you couldn't ask in sort of, you know, a more structured society. It's like there's a whole other set of rules here. Um, And everyone is is enjoying it and is very good-natured about it. There isn't the hostility. Yeah. Like, this is ours um, feeling that you get at other cons. Yeah. Yeah. They're just here having a good time. I don't know that they realize that that's what's going on, but... Yeah. You know, so, so, yeah, incest. Do you want to ask questions about incest? I mean, 
I mean, how often do you get to talk to princesses? Uh, Never. Exactly. I was just yeah. fascinated by this, and I think that's why so many people were attracted to it. And it's, you know, I, I don't... In the comics that I have read, in the mainstream comics that I have read, I don't think topics like that ever really get discussed. Although I could be wrong, so... People who are listening right now, if you know of a theme of incest that's ever been explored in a mainstream comic, I'd love to know about it, mm-hmm. just to know that it exists. Because a lot of dysfunctional uh, family stuff has been addressed in comics, certainly, with you know betrayals and, and people having affairs and stuff like that. But I think that that's one area that really has not been touched. Yeah, but incest, it's like necrophilia and bestiality. It just freaks people right out. Well, I mean, it freaks me out. Yeah, I just, but, you know, anyhow. So that, that was just simply fascinating. <laughs> Which, and I have to round it off by saying, somebody made a really, really funny comment at the end. In the midst of all this squeaky talk about incest, someone said, you know, of course, part of it is that it's a fantasy, right? And it's not that you want it to be real, but it's just interesting to explore the idea in something that's not real in fiction, right? That's our outlet for this. And if anybody were to ever say to you, oh, your neighbor, then you would be like, ew, and you really wouldn't want to know know. about it. You know, if somebody told you that, you know, the boys you went to high school with and this woman piped up and said, well, it would really depend how attractive they were. (laughs) I thought was pretty funny. Anyhow, so that was the incest panel. Interesting. You know, I read some incest fic at um, Nifty Archives. I think I read three shortish stories and went alright, that's enough of that yeah, well, you know, I mean, when it's forbidden that's what I love about the internet you can sort of just get anything out of your system fairly easily in in het fiction, in het erotica het porn, yeah. incest is huge it's right. just it's one of the, the most popular types if you look I mean, not that I've done this, but um, I have read statistics saying that it's a huge part which... It's totally weird to me, but whatever. Doomed. I don't know. So uh, following that enlightening discussion, uh, we then sat through some talk about history oh, of Slash, which was not very good. And, you know, this well, isn't a Slash con. the audience con. knows more about the subject than the moderators who don't, you know, seem to be very organized. <laughs> what a drag. I mean, I left. They were discussing um, the origins of Slash in the mid-'70s, and I left to go... Um, to go do something. I went down to the dealer's room and I got a drink and I roamed around and I came back like a half an hour later and they were still in the 70s because they were just not capable of pushing the discussion forward. So, it's okay. Well, I I think one of the the interesting things about this and and this has also been true in um, Trek fandom and in other fandoms too is that the average age is younger and people were not around when a lot of this stuff was happening, so they only know about it second or third hand. And there aren't a lot of primary sources to go to for information because there's no textbooks that say, this is the history of Slash. Well, it's even bigger than that. You know, I was talking to somebody who teaches at a college, at a university, and she she has to, like, do a bio on Bob Hope and Phyllis Diller because these kids, these 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 little babies, they're born yeah. in the eighties, and they don't know who Bob Hope or Phyllis Diller yeah. is. You know, I mean, for God's sake! So, being being somewhat uninformed on uh, the origins of slash fanfiction, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's more important to know who Bob Hope and Phyllis Diller are. Probably more important to know who Richard Nixon was, actually, in the main scheme of things. So I I don't want to fault them too much for not having a great panel on Slash, because this is not a Slash con. It's a Yowie con, which is a different thing. I fault them for not being able to run their panel. That was kind of (laughs) unfortunate. So um, there were a bunch of other panels that we did not get to go to, but it Mm. seemed like they were all pretty well attended, which was kind of neat. That people well, were then interested. We, then we went to watch videos. We went to watch. So let's let's finish this little <laughs> discussion by talking about videos. And uh, we went over to the video room, which was in a different hotel, and uh, just decided to plop ourselves down and watch whatever they were showing. Mm. And um, they ended up showing something that I don't know what it was called. I don't know what it was called either. And it was confusing as hell. There were all these sort of fiery lions. That were running yeah, through these temples and, and these woods. Dragons and, and a dragons lot of warlords of the underworld kind of fighting with each other. Eight, seven, seven brothers. Seven brothers. And one evil eighth one, brother and, and it was butterflies. All, 
the so, butterflies. So, so the butterflies, like butterflies were the best part. But it was all done in this kind of muted color scheme, which I rather liked. Yeah. And then they had a big fire, which made yeah. everything like yellow and orange and it was crispy all kind burning. Of, kind of gray, muted yeah. earth tones, and then red. And then red, lots yeah. of red. And the best part, now I have to say, <laughs> The reason I like this so much is because I have never encountered this particular form of attack in anything I've ever read or seen, okay? Oh. So so <laughs> whether this is part of Japanese culture or somebody just had this crazy-ass idea and said, okay, I'm going to put this into this particular piece mm-hmm. of anime, mm-hmm. it was so cool. So I, you know, whenever you find something new like that, it's like, wow. Well, that's are so you talking cool. about the butterflies? I'm talking about the butterflies. You know, I've seen... I've seen arrows and maces and bullets oh, and the, the, water balls uh, and all you know kinds I don't know if it was the bad guy or not because we couldn't figure couldn't out figure what it was the bad hell guy was good. going I couldn't on. Figure it out. And he like would wave his hands and instead of energy bolts, which was what everybody else had going on, these um, pastel butterflies surrounded would surround you know. The, the opponent, yes. His opponent. And his opponent would just zap him, you know? And they would and go they would, poof, like know, little so, pieces of tissue paper. And then he is, wounds him with the uh, samurai, samurai sword, sword that he generates. Right? What are they called? The katara? Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, and he wounds him, and it's like, uh, generates more butterflies, and he says, the poison from these butterflies will seep into your wound. And, and kill you. And it was like, it looked like he cut his arm off, it but did. not really. Um so, so novel, novel way to kill somebody. <laughs> wound them and then make poisonous butterflies Poison. appear that will poison your wound and then you'll die from it. And yeah. wow, that was pretty cool, I have to say. But he didn't, he didn't die. He didn't die. Because some, somebody that was a ghost maybe saved him? Yeah, Someone? and actually reached into the wound and pulled, a, and pulled out a grub. Which was the poison part. Which was the poison. And then it went poof and it disappeared. Like a caterpillar. Yes. Yeah. It was purple. It we don't glowed. know what this what this anime was called. We, really we don't know. Don't. And then the payoff was at the end where there were like five <sighs> seconds of two guys saying, I love you to each other. They didn't even kiss. They and didn't even look at away. each other. It was like, I love they you, didn't bye. Look at each other. <laughs> and one of them was like wearing a thin shirt. I mean, he was wearing, he was fully dressed. He was wearing, and it's cold. And the other one, who's wearing a nice suit, takes his suit coat off and puts it around the other guy's shoulders and walks away. Yeah. I mean, who walks away from half of their suit? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's either. anime, whatever. So then, then there was a little vote, and my request for Kinzuna, well, Kinzuna, well, whatever it's, it's however it's pronounced, was denied, and um, we wound up watching this thing called Loveless, that had uh, hybrid kitty people or doggy people. I don't know. They had ears and tails. High school with people with, with. Critter ears yeah. and tails, and uh, th- then we had pressing engagement somewhere else, and and we took off. So that was that yeah. was our thing. So um, that kind of wraps up this little piece. We of didn't it. understand Loveless. We, we didn't understand any of it, but that's yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> so because that's what being at Yowie Con's all about is exposing yourself to new and different ideas. It's a voyage of discovery. It's always completely a voyage of discovery. So now let's take a little musical break with music by um, yours truly sitting across from me here. And then um, I'm going to play the interview with Isaac because it's just so incredibly mm. wonderful. So you can, you can all listen to that. And then I'll be back at the end to wrap things up from Bye. the special Yowie Con <laughs> edition of I Love Comics. Woo! director of um, new business at Digital Manga. And Digital Manga is one of the best and biggest publishers in the manga business these days. Um, this interview is actually at Yaoi Khan, and they are a huge presence here. If you go down to the dealer's room, they have a great big table. They're all over the, um, the program for this. There's signs all over the place, and there's obviously a lot of fans who are here to, to see you and to see the products that you have. So thanks for taking the time to Hey, not a, not a problem. Um, so... Um, 
how did you guys get involved in doing yaoi as opposed to just straight manga? Uh, it's funny, straight manga. <laughs> <laughs> not not to, to make too fun of points. <laughs> um, it, well, you know, we had digital manga, you know, the corporation itself, mm -hmm. where we do like travel tours, publishing, distribution, licensing, things like that. We've always believed in just doing things differently, mm -hmm. just doing doing unique, edgy, really exciting type of things that, um, you know, nobody's ever really thought about before. Um, so, uh, you know, when we first came out, we were a co-publisher with Dark Horse, and our first couple of titles oh. were Trigun, Helsing, Berserk, uh, and The Ring. And uh, from there on, now we're co-publishing the Vampire Hunter D novel. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we selected those titles and put them out there in the market, and re people really, really enjoyed them. Um, then when we started to solely publish our own product, um, we decided to go with three titles. Those were Worst, IWGP, and uh, only the ring finger knows, <laughs> which I've talked about on the show. I actually did a right. whole segment on it. It was such an interesting book uh, from a lot of different perspectives. Was that a big seller for you? I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the petition in a minute. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, well, well, let's just put it like this: is like these were the three titles, and at first we were just like, okay, we're gonna sell yaoi manga. You know, what what is this yaoi manga mm -hmm. and such? And um, you know, we put it out there, and just the difference in sales between Worst, IWGP, and Only the Ring Finger Knows just was totally, totally different. It was like a sliding scale, basically. Only the Ring Finger being the number one sale. And to this point still, uh, not including our Dark Horse co-published titles, but to this point, Only the Ring Finger is still our number one selling wow. title of our sole-published uh, manga. So... You know, it was from that point on that we decided we just had something really big. We got a lot of emails, a lot of fan support where people were just really thanking us for bringing kind of the boys love manga out here to the to uh, an English adaption so much that we really invested heavily. Two years later, here we are, one of the number one um, leading publishers and boys love manga. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're very proud of that and we're very uh, honored to have listen to a fan response and have to have been part of some sort of, you could call it, boys love movement, so to speak. Uh, it's no secret that women are the majority buyers of manga. Women are the majority uh, readers of, um, of uh, manga and um, just doudenshi, whether the case may be, here and in Japan. And uh, you know, it was only, it was only natural that, sho you know, shoujo manga, yaoi manga was going to follow after the boom of shoujo manga, because it was just such a parallel in the way stories were written, so, um, you know, we're just very happy to be a part of it. So, it's, um, often said that of... I would call regular comics, that is, superhero comics and other stuff that's published, the majority readers are male. Correct. It's a small percentage that are women in that it's the complete opposite in, in manga, whether it's regular, uh, straight manga, right. or whether it's yaoi. Why do you think that is? I mean, do you have a personal theory as, as to why there's such a big um, skew on both sides of that? Yeah, and, um, you know, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a thing that I've been noticing recently, too, is like a, a lot of uh, mangaka, shall we say, uh, especially American manga, or pretty much only American mangaka tend to take stabs at like this superhero comic type of appeal mm -hmm. and such. And, um, you know, I think, if anything, that's a misconception on their own part, is uh, they're taking a genre that's disappeared in the 1990s, actually. I mean, the superhero spandex-wearing age died out, really, in the 1990s uh, to 1995, mm -hmm. um, only because that was the biggest time, the biggest boom of uh, mm -hmm. comics at yeah. the time. And now... If you really actually take the time to go into a real comic book store, there's a lot more variety out mm -hmm. there. Some of the titles I suggest people actually get out there and read, it's like Identity Crisis, yeah. which is, there's nothing superhero corny about that title. Uh, you know, Sin City, We uh, some of, you know, um, his name escapes me right now, uh... Now, some of Nell Gaiman's work, yeah. just Sandman, you know, there's there's nothing really cartoony about comics at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, there's still, you know, 
uh, granted, there's still the Spider-Man, the, um, you know, the Batmans and everything, but there's so much variety out there. Just like manga, there's so much variety, but yes, still point taken, there is, the majority of those buyers are males. My personal theory on that is it's just a different level of storytelling, and it's just a different demographic that people are writing to. Um, I personally still prefer uh, reading comics. I still feel that comics get in touch with me personally more, a lot more than manga does. Mm -hmm. You know, I publish manga. I enjoy reading manga. IWGP is by far my favorite manga, uh, and I've said that before, but it's written for a Japanese audience. Mm -hmm. um, Robot, which we publish, uh, I love that title to death. You know, me and Rinji are really good friends, but um, he even said it himself. He wrote it for Japanese people. Mm -hmm. You know, I can pick up a general comic like Identity Crisis, and the dialogue and the flow is written in the sense that I'm supposed to feel everything. Um, the only way you're... And, you know, this may not even be possible is... Um, you have to be that good in Japanese to really mm -hmm. understand the symbolism that a Japanese manga is writing. What we're getting trans translated in English is close, mm -hmm. but unless you've lived and breathed in Japan, there's always going to be something you're missing out on. But, you know, as long as you get that overall feeling that the point that the manga is trying to make, that's fine. But, that's, you know... I would just, to kind of answer, to go back and answer your question, <laughs> that was a long explanation of some beef I've had, uh, but to answer your question, I would basically say that it's, comics are, were generally because of the superhero craze in the 90s and such, comics were basically written for guys, mm -hmm. and the movie adaptions are written for action. Mm -hmm. Guys go to action movies, mm -hmm. girls generally don't. Um, in manga, you know, girls if they weren't reading comics, they were reading, you know, novels or something. They were reading books. And, uh, what's her name? Anne Keller, the, uh, vampire... Anne Rice. Anne Rice. Anne Rice novels, you know, just all the, let's take, for instance, all the romance novels. Mm -hmm. Those filled with, like, the Fabio covers and such, that's for women. Um... They're already in the bookstores, like Barnes and Nobles and Borders. You know, they're already there. Manga got its way out there because of this same sensual telling, storytelling, basically. Um, you know, if you compare an action manga in a shoujo manga, you understand the shoujo manga a lot more because action manga just has the, the paneling and some of the, you know, fight sequences are just sometimes not made for the American eye. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The same way as in, we have, uh, you know, there's all this hiragana, or, uh, sorry, there's going to be furigana and, like, katakana for sound mm -hmm. effects. Mm -hmm. You know, Japanese people see it the same way we see kabao and blam, blam, blam. It's there, but it's not really meant to be read. Um, and I didn't actually really notice that until after I really started to look at the differences. I'm like, wow, there were, like, sound effects in the manga, but we don't really even notice it there. Um, it's kind of... That's, I think, one of the difficulties of why uh, guys can't really get into it as much. Um, it's just not written in that sense that you can catch it. But when you have, as they say in Japan, wet stories that just focus on one core thing, the human heart. Mm -hmm. Feelings, no matter what language you speak, feelings are universal. Mm -hmm. Emotions are universal, and that's generally the we reason why... Women, just like with dramas and soap operas, they can just attach themselves a lot more to the character development mm -hmm. and just the uh, story progressions that involve a lot more emotion. And that, you know, generally that's why shoujo is so big and that's why women are out there reading those mangas. Yeah, it, it seems to me that um, from, from what I've read, and I, I haven't read very widely, but um, the, the manga and especially the, the yaoi stuff is a lot more subtle. And there's something about that that seems to be appealing to women, and I don't know why, whether it's a socialization thing or something, but it's character-driven, it's more subtle, and um, it's not, 
it's not action-based, as you were saying, but there's something about the relationships that draws you in that you want to find out more, and it, the end point is not really the goal, right? You're not reading it to get to the end to say, okay, now I've read it. It's more going back and looking through it and finding the depth that's in there. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the panels that you have to go back and read like three times to kind of understand what's Correct. happening. To me, that's really appealing. Um, and I noticed in, in looking through only the ring finger knows, first I had to actually translate a lot of those sound effects because it was killing me not to know what they <laughs> said. It's like, oh, bells ring differently in Japan right. than they do in America. That was kind of cool. Um, there is also something about it that I think, I don't know why it's more appealing to women, but it, it's what you were just talking about, like not kind of getting it the first time, where you read it and because it's maybe a Japanese cultural aspect that you're not familiar with, it's a puzzle that you have to figure Correct. out, and you look at it and you go, wow, why are they acting this way? I'm not really sure. Right. But it's cooler because you don't get it. There's something about it that's mysterious mm -hmm. and enticing mm -hmm. rather than, uh, say, you know, a, a standard Marvel or DC book where you go through and you get everything that's happening, and kind of once you're done with it, you're done with it, and there might not be as much of a reason for you to go back and look at that same comic again because you've gotten out of it everything that you wanted to get out of it. Correct. I don't know if that's a crackpot theory, but that's yeah, what it's no, Yeah, no, there's that, you know, that's that, there's that idea as well. And, um, you know, it's also, there's a continuous feeling with American comics where ma manga, there's closure to that's pretty right. much. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been doing the same characters for 40, 50 years or so, which is fine. And we've been doing new stuff, which is fine. Um, you know, it's somewhat of an economical sense as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with manga, pretty much the story starts and the story ends. Mm -hmm. And there is somewhat of a more feeling, especially with the emotional stories, uh, there is somewhat of a feeling of um, um, this is the end and th there's closure, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more closure. But if you also look at the business side of things, uh, that's a lot harder to... Uh, profit off of in the long run. Right, because you don't have that next sale assured. Correct. You will always go to a comic book convention. You can guarantee to see a Batman or a Superman mm -hmm. or a Spider-Man. Uh, you go to a manga convention, um, You, I dare someone to be able to find uh, a Dragon Ball costume now, you know. Come, come a couple years from now, you know, Bleach is going to be outdated. <laughs> you know, Naruto's doing great right now, but where's it going to be in five years? Right. Unless that series continues and they run it into the ground, um, you know, it's a lot harder to uh, make profit off of it. So do you think people tend to follow artists more because they know that the same characters aren't going to be used? Like if you really like an artist or a writer, you might want to say, well, I'm going to get whatever they do next because I love the way they draw or I love the way they, they do yes. these stories. Uh, that, you know, in fact, our particular uh, guest for Yaoi-kan right now, uh, Yuhi Goody-sensei, she uh, is the character, she's actually the mangaka for Gorgeous Carrot Galaxy, and one of the things she was mentioning to me earlier today in the car is that she's done a lot of different stories, mm -hmm. and um, one of the things, the reason why Gorgeous Carrot Galaxy is so popular, she, she notices people attach themselves to characters a lot more than some of her other works. She's pretty big for other titles, but um, it was this particular title that they wanted to see so much more with, because uh, Gorgeous Carrot Galaxy is actually a continuation of Gorgeous Carrot, okay. um, which is published by another publisher. Um, oh, that's so, really interesting. That's I mean, that really, never happens yeah. in the, the mainstream comic book. But, in, you know, it's it's really interesting But um, because uh, it was actually from two different uh, two different publishers in Japan. Oh, so that's how that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, that, the first ver part is coming out and then we're going to be publishing somewhat of the continuation, but at the same time, it's a standalone right, story. Right. So, oh. but there's so much character attachment that was, uh, with this particular gorgeous carrot, uh, uh, title that um, she just said people really enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, that's so cool. So with only the ring finger nose, um, your top seller, hugely popular. There was an online petition to get the novel translated. Right. How many people responded to that? Um, Do you know? With the that one, I think if I remember, it was. I don't want to say the wrong number because I think I'll be right. off a zero or so. <laughs> but um, it was it was really well responded. It was the biggest particular petition basically it turned enough heads that we said okay if you know we're going to do a print run of this we already have um a 
that quantity already received via petition. Yeah. So we were just like, you know, we have to put this out. Um, there's no which way around it anymore. We had to put this out. And enough that we also decided that we're going to continue to do more uh, Yaoi novels in the future. So Cool. Yeah. Hey, that's excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, that's, that's really wonderful. How interesting um, to think of it that way. I mean, you don't normally see novelizations of, I'd say, comic book characters. Correct. It's more... Um, novelizations of TV shows or movies. Correct. I mean, there have been some. I, I recently read and talked about a novel that I read that was a X-Men Star Trek crossover thing. Really? Yeah, it wasn't that good. <laughs> no, it was actually a companion piece to a Star Trek X-Men comic book. Huh. Which was actually pretty good. I kind of enjoyed that. And the the thing that was interesting was that um, in the novel, the Star Trek characters were really well written. The X Men characters came off kind of flat. Ah. It it was really comic booky, which didn't mm. translate well to print. But of mm. course, this isn't a novelization of a book. It's the original novel right. that the the um, manga was then based. Well, on. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised in Japan. That's no big deal. Um, there's a lot of novel adaptions of animes and oh, such. Oh, interesting. So, uh, be ready because I mean, coming next year. Almost every publisher is going to jump into the novel type of reign. There's going to be a lot of more novel adaptions. And um, just like our Vampire Hunter D novel, it's like uh, generally the girls are going to continue to support that field. That's so. cool. It's, manga is huge right now. And yeah. even Americanized manga is really big on TV, like the Teen Titans episodes and the other stuff that the Cartoon Network is, is showing. Um, Teen Titans fascinates me because... It's taking these American characters, but doing it in a manga style. So there are things in it that are very anime, right? Which you have to know, or else it looks totally bizarre to you. Like when the characters shrink down to correct, their little chibi forms. Right, right, right. Like if you don't know that when you see it, it's like, wow, the cartoon is suddenly on acid. Why did they right. shrink down to these sides <laughs> and have these little droplets coming off? Mm, I, you know, I sometimes thought about that too when I first saw the premiere of Teen Titans, but. Um, I really enjoy the writing for that show. It's good, and, yeah. Um, this season is yeah. awesome with Doom Patrol and yes. everything. Oh my god, it's so great. Um, I believe as long as the writing stands strong, uh, this is going to be a good sort of, um, we'll call it evolution for just uh, children's TV yeah. show. And it's fresh. And, yeah, it's really fresh and it's not necessarily copying anything, it's just really taking a good amount of influences from anime exactly and I mean, but in a good way you know i see a big difference between again on cartoon network you can watch you know the pokemon shows and the other spin-offs and i have a hard time watching them because they are so japanese i don't get some of the stuff that goes Correct. on but yet i can watch teen titans and i love the elements of it that they've pulled into characters that i'm really familiar with um it seems today here at yaoi a lot of the people who are attending are aspiring artists and writers what do you think is going to happen when um, Americans or, or non-Japanese people, I should say, want to try and play in this field and start creating their own characters? Do you think that's going to be successful? Well, uh, this year is be- definitely the year to find out. All I, <laughs> all I have to say is I'm glad it's not my company taking the risk. So, <laughs> um, my biggest suggestion for those people out there that just really want to really love, I mean, really, really love, breathe, and eat manga and want to be part of this industry um, is just they seriously just need to practice and um, they really need to know what they're kind of going up against. Um, Don't imitate anything. Mm -hmm. Just create what you want to create, something you believe in, because the smartest thing somebody told me long ago uh, when I first started in sales and such is, you know, if you don't believe in... If you don't believe in the subject you're carrying, then nobody else is going to believe mm-hmm. in it. So you can't push something that you're not comfortable with, but you really also need to have a product that everybody else is going to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, my my company is not really, we're at, not at that level that we really seen artists that have um, um, geared us enough to try and create OEL manga, as it's called, or something, are just working with American artists. And I look at artwork every day, four or five people's portfolio every mm-hmm. day, but I've yet to see something where I know we could carry it to an audience that really can communicate with it. Um, the biggest problem I'm seeing right now is actually not the art. 
Um, the biggest problem I'm seeing is actually stories that people can mm-hmm. enjoy well enough. Um, you kind of want to kind of give a manga influence to it, but you, you know, everybody's writing about whatever. Um, you know, I really think storytellers really need to go out there, take storytelling classes. It's not, it's not the same thing as copying, uh, tracing people's lines mm-hmm. and such and taking people's art styles and, or whatever and being influenced by that. If you're going to write a good story, you really got to go out there and take story classes, take script writing classes, mm-hmm. really understand how a plot thickens, so to speak. Secondly, uh, the other advice I can say is consistency because I have a school where um, it's called mangaacademy.com and I have a... Uh, uh, ten, a student attendance of about 9,000 kids Whoa. online. And these are 9,000 aspiring manga artists, so I'm looking at all these drawings. They're great. One-shot pictures or so, they might be great, but you know, if they're really interested in the manga, I'm like, okay, draw me a 10-page story, mm-hmm. story in two weeks. You know, Draw me 10 pages of the same character. Uh, consistency is horrible. Yeah. Consistency is the biggest thing. I mean, there's books out on the shelves right now where and this goes. This holds true for Japanese as well. I have the same problem. I'm working with this Japanese artist right now, and his consistency is horrible. So you know, it's going to be even worse with American artists. So the biggest, ex- biggest uh, advice I can give is to, for those people is just to continue studying and really don't don't put your stuff out until you really believe yeah. in it. I think that's good advice for anybody who right. wants to be a comic artist. I think it's a huge issue in in mainstream comics as I well. I agree. And and. The, the lesson here is, as with most things, it's a lot harder than it looks, yeah, right? It like, is. You think, oh, I could do that. Yeah. Like, Just no. because you can draw a beautiful 8x10 doesn't mean you can do 40 of them in yeah. <laughs> for a, a month. People really don't realize until, you know, uh, you get to a certain level, your stuff, you got to learn that consistency or you'll mm-hmm. never be able to crank, get, crank out a fascinating manga. Exactly. Okay, two more questions. Sure, sure. What else is uh, digital manga coming out with, like, in the next year or so that you're really excited about? Uh, but besides the Gorgeous Carrot Galaxy, one of, uh, we got a lot of uh, other good titles. Alone in My King's Harem is already out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jazz is on its way uh, in the next couple of weeks. Kimi Shiruya, Dost Thou Know, Our Everlasting. Right, that's getting a lot of press, I see. Yeah, yeah. Our Everlasting's, <laughs> Our Everlasting's pretty interesting. It's all about the, uh, um, um, the surfers and such surfing uh. yaoi manga so our new title our new pitch for that one is if it swells write it <laughs> so, <laughs> um yellow's been doing really good yeah. um and then um i'd say la esperanza because it actually has a very general market um it's not shrink wrapped and i'm really i'm really excited to see how la esperanza does because uh it's not shrink wrapped so it's going to be easier for people to browse through Mm it and it's a safer yaoi manga so um those are the type of yaoi titles i'm really interested in um next but in terms of general titles we have the robot series will be continuing Mm -hmm. by rinji murata and friends um uh, we're going to be doing Yoshitoshi Abe's Lane, and uh, on, uh, which is an illustration book. Uh, we actually are going to be announcing tomorrow, um, which will probably be up by the time. Uh, we're going to be doing um, the first ever Yaoi art book, Kiss of Fire, actually. Oh, great title. Yeah, Kiss of Fire. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful art book, and I'm really excited to see that next year. And we're also going to be doing the first ever in North America, the first official uh, Boys Love um, anthology type of... Uh, oh, excellent. Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's by Biblos. It's called Junk Boy in Japan. <laughs> but, be- hence the name, uh, I decided to shorten it to something like J-Boy. So it's going to be J-Boy by Biblos in the sometime late next year. Wow. So um, we're really excited to be doing that because this is going to be a first for all of us yeah. out here. And I really want to see how something like this is going to take off. So we're in the early development stages of it, but I'm really excited to see uh, how we're going to work it into the market and everything. That sounds and so, great. And then on the, my side projects... Um, we're going to be doing again with the unique stuff. We have uh, Project X, which is like documentary manga. We have Edgy Manga, uh, which is like educational manga. It sh- tells tells you the stories of like Ann Keller, uh, uh, Helen Keller, and uh, and Frank Beethoven. Wow. Really interesting. Astro Boy is actually your host of the entire <laughs> entire <laughs> That's so series. Cool. That's great. 
we have how to read manga series that's coming out and um um in current development right now with this one just one particular american artist um that i think is the kind of standard that i'm looking for right now in terms of just um coming out there and blowing people away it has a manga feel to it but at the same time it just has a great artistic feel to it and i'm really excited about her right now um so i can't even it's so much that i can't even mention her name because people would grab her right away but i've been seeing her work and i've been studying her work for a long time and uh, hopefully again with the consistency if we can work that down it's uh it's going to be really exciting toward the end of next year so cool um and the last question is what are you reading right now besides Uh, manga uh, well i was gonna say i was reading manga i'm reading my own manga (laughs) um a lot of them i care not to read but (laughs) i'm reading my own for fun fun, of course um for for fun i'm actually reading batman and um uh, I'm actually reading Spider-Man, uh, the other uh, cro- crossover that's uh-huh. happening right now. Ultimate, still, uh, just it's, I still go every week, every week to the comic <laughs> book store and such. And um, actually, t- to add to that earlier point where you're saying, how come girls may not get into comics? Well, comic book stores need to stop making their stores so guy friendly. Uh, that's you know, I'm I'm getting on another show next week to talk about that exact thing with another girl geek, and we're we're like the two representative yeah. women to talk about that, and we have some ideas. Yeah, I mean, they got to just stop making it where, you know, no girl wants to go in and have her, like, derriere brushed up against because, you know, this heavyset guy is coming in looking for his Golden Age collectibles. Girls would really want to come into a comfortable environment, too. And, you know, I I like the environment. It's kind of interesting, but at the same time, I understand, you know, there's, there is kind of, it's kind of like going into a barbershop or something and looking to get a perm. It's just like... <laughs> You know, uh, it's just not the kind of environment you really want to be in, and you almost feel uncomfortable being there. If if it's the last place on earth, then you'll get it. So, um, you know, uh, that's a whole other thing, though. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I, it's an important point. I don't think we can really talk about it too much. If if comics wants to expand its audience and get more dollars, I mean, there's a lot of women out there with money who would be willing to buy it if they didn't feel like going into a comic book store was personally threatening because it feels right. that way sometimes right 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 i mean my girlfriend every monday uh, every wednesday my girlfriend waits in the car yes <laughs> i'll be like you sure you don't want to come in they got some stuff and you're like nah I'm, I'm, uh, you just go get your uh, ultimates and <laughs> come back so um yeah that's kind of the stuff i'm reading manga wise i'm reading uh the robot uh in japan right now mm-hmm. the japanese version of it i'm just um looking over it because i really enjoy it and checking to see if i'll pop up in the comic anytime soon cool. so. uh have you i just have to ask have you seen the new edition of Watchmen that just came out no i haven't oh you should Is get it really it. good oh, it's hardcover they they made it really really beautiful it's got some extra stuff in it and uh it's yeah it's yeah really- big fan of alan moore and everything he does so um you know yeah, I really, I can't wait for that. And then uh, Justice is another, mm-hmm. another one I've been reading. Um, hope the story picks up a little faster, but we'll <laughs> see. Same thing with Batman and Robin. That's a great one. Um, you know, uh, that does remind me, though, is like I am currently trying to just work on it with this one Japanese artist to kind of just fuse that type of cool. comic book world Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of parodies about comic books and such but at the same time has a manga feel and we're going to be putting that out next year uh it's the pjt manga uh pop japan travel Mm -hmm. manga and uh i have nakajima sensei who i'm working really closely with making parodies of the hulk and the ultimates and such and it's really going to be this cool parody that Americans are going to understand, but it's still going to have the Japanese culture basically as if you're an American living in Japan. This is what, this is based on real story, true stories um, that of my time in Japan, and it's going to just have all this culture uh, clashing, and it's going to be really funny. Cool. So. That's great. Well, Cole, thank you so much. For hey, not a problem. Always a pleasure. This is yeah. great. I'm going to have this uh, up pretty soon. I'm going to put in lots of links to all the different things that we talked about. Great. So people can, can right, and come about. to the panel, too. Yeah, um, definitely. We're going to have some cool announcements. All right. Thank you. Akasan.
So I realize that this show is running incredibly long, but hey, it was a con. I had a lot of things I wanted to talk about. The last thing I want to get to is to talk about Ghost in the Shell 2, which Ginger and I ended up watching um, after we got done recording our part of the podcast. So this was Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, which was directed by Momoru Oishi, and this was the sequel to the original Ghost in the Shell. Um, Innocence came out in uh, 2004, and it's now out on DVD, which was how we were able to watch it. I never saw the first one, and I hadn't seen this in the theater, and um, I wish I had, actually, and I'd like to see it on a big screen one day. But seeing it you know, on my little computer screen was pretty darn cool. So um, just a few things about it. Uh, it took a long time to make this. And that's evident in just about every frame because it is incredibly beautiful. The contrast between the backgrounds, which are all 3D uh, CGI rendered stuff, and the characters themselves, all of the human or semi-human characters who are all traditional uh, 2D hand-drawn things is pretty striking. And the backgrounds look like the most detailed, intricate sorts of backgrounds that you might see in something like Mist, for example. It's just amazing how well they were able to do it. I was very impressed by that. It's in Japanese, and it has subtitles, and I have to say that uh, DreamWorks did the subtitles, and they suck. They suck big red rocks. For some unknown reason, they decided to do this, the English subtitles as a combination of the actual dialogue and sound effects, like you're watching closed captioning. Like, whose stupid idea was that? I understand that you can actually get a new disc that has better <laughs> subtitles on it that doesn't have all that closed captioning crap like leaves rustling or sound of machine or car starting. It's so distracting when you're watching it. Um, but I, I have to say in doing a little bit of research online, I found out that the subtitling in English is not really that accurate. Many people have complained about this. And even I, with my really pathetic knowledge of Japanese, at times I went, that's not what he was saying. That's not even close to what he was saying. So I think that there are uh, what are called fan subs out there, like fan subtitled versions. And I want to know how to get one because I'd like to see it with a more accurate version of the subtitles. That said, the dialogue is very interesting. There's not that much of it, and you kind of have to intuit a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of showing and not telling, and a lot of the dialogue consists of people trading quotes with each other, kind of like somebody pulled out Bartlett's famous quotations, but they're good. You know, they make sense within the context of it, and again, I'm very curious to know if that's really the way the dialogue is, or whether the people who did this just decided to, you know, haul out the quotations uh, book and see what they could stick in there, but it's an amazing story. Um, it covers the same ground as some other movies have covered before. And, and the more I thought about it, I thought, well, of course it's like Blade Runner. Every movie that's about robots and what it means to be human always harkens back to Blade Runner. And I, I think that's more true of the movie than the story, which was called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And it, the story drew on those ideas, but the movie hit on it much, much more about who knows that they're a robot and who doesn't and what does it mean to be really human or not um, and this movie is completely devoted to that I, I actually wanted to read the little blurb in IMDB to tell you what the plot is here's how it describes it in the year 2032, Batu, a cyborg detective for the Anti-Terrorist Unit Public Security Section 9, investigates the case of a female robot, one created solely for sexual pleasure, who slaughtered her owner. So in a way, it's like a murder mystery, um, and in a way, it's like a police story, and in a way, it's like this bizarre Japanese ghost story, because all of those things come together. It doesn't hurt not to have seen the first one, although there are a few things that happen that um, help if you've seen the first one, but I think I could have enjoyed it without knowing what happened in the first movie anyway. Um, there's a dog in it that is just the cutest dog ever, so if you like dogs, you're going to fall in love with this puppy. It's a basset hound, and oh my goodness, it's just so cute. I was very happy to see that. In a way, the dog is the most human character of the whole movie, and that's no accident either. The filmmakers did that very deliberately. So I, I think people who like dogs will like it. It got me kind of thinking about um, the whole question of what does it mean to be human, and my recollection of, of that in comic books is that it that train kind of started with Stan Lee in the early Marvel stuff and you know Peter Parker was the guy who had this complex about splitting his personality between his real life and his 
superhero life and worried about it a lot in a way that Superman never seemed to. You know, he had a little angst about it, but it didn't make him crazy, didn't make him cry. And that that grew up, I think, in the Marvel Universe, people really wondering what it was to be a superhero and what it was to be not quite human, because once you have superpowers, are you really human? Um, And that was, of course, the whole point of X-Men, was that they weren't human as people normally thought of them. They were something other than human. They were X. What does that mean? So that theme is explored here. It's not answered. I don't think you ever get an answer like this is where the line is and here's where it crosses. And the movie seems to imply that there's something about being human that's a spirit, a spiritual thing, um, but it's not clear where that spirit lives or, or how it can be quantified or what even happens after your body goes away? Uh, there's an implication that the spirit can hang around even if it doesn't have a body to live in. Um, I'd love to know if that's a more common belief in Japanese culture than it is in American culture, which seems to be pretty much, you know, you die and go to heaven or you go to hell. But um, these themes have also been explored to a certain extent in Neil Stevenson's novels like Diamond Age and Snow Crash. So I saw some crossover there as well. But it is a most beautiful movie. I, I would like to buy it and watch it again and again because I'm sure I missed a ton of stuff the first time around. But that's definitely on a a list of recommendations that I would have. And if people out there have more information about um, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, I would really like to know about it. So I'm going to wrap it up. I'm sure you're all totally tired of this particular show. I'll be back next week with an interview with Brad Rader, who's a wonderful artist, and then uh, thoughts on some other stuff, including Top 10, which I just finished reading. So thanks, y'all. Talk to you soon.